And scripture is so clear on how we ought to approach neighbors. As I was sitting there this week, I was thinking about all the sitcoms growing up that featured relationships between neighbors. And I was looking, there was a top 25 list of sitcoms that featured relationships between neighbors. And I just, I just wanted to highlight five of them. The first one, and many of you guys might remember this show. You might remember Seinfeld where Kramer lived just across the hall from Jerry. And he wouldn't even knock, he'd walk right in, right? Or you might remember the show Home Improvement where Tim Allen had the neighbor Wilson and you'd never see Wilson's full face, you'd just see his half face because he was always standing on the other side of the fence. You might remember, some of you older ones might remember this third show, Fred Nethel coming over to see Lucy. Or the second one, Ed and Trixie on the Honeymooners coming to visit, or my formidable youth, you might remember Steve Urkel on Family Matters. You know, the reality is there, there are many we could sit here and name, and I'm sure your favorite might not have been up on the screen this morning, but even the world, think about this, even the world considers what a good neighbor and a bad neighbor is, Right? And so Jesus today, what we're reading out of Luke chapter 10, if you could begin to turn there, as Jesus talks about neighbors, it is important to solve the question, who qualifies as a neighbor in my life? Because I believe it is more than just the person who lives next door to you, amen? It's more than that. So we're looking in scripture this morning, and if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, no fear, it's going to be up on the screen here, but it's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. Let's begin. It says, one day, an expert, everyone say expert. So this expert In religious law, he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? You love it when these experts think they're asking a rhetorical question, they know everything, right? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, and I can hear him in his expert voice. Well, the law says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to down Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, this might seem simple to us, but Lord, it gets very complicated when we examine our lives. And so, Lord, I pray for an openness, a continued openness to your Holy Spirit moving and speaking today. In Jesus' name, in all God's children said, amen, amen. amen. You know, there's this big question here we're being asked today. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The religious leader, a qualified neighbor of Jesus, started out by asking him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That was the question that led to this parable. And so clearly, this man, he had his own ideas, but as it always was with Jesus, they wanted to debate, they wanted to argue with him, and they wanted to prove him wrong. And so as Jesus explained, what happened was the debate evolved to the point the religious leader asked, who is my neighbor? And from there, Jesus goes on to tell this story of a Jewish man attacked, and the only one who responded to this man who was attacked was a Samaritan. Now, I want to give you some background here so you can completely understand the significance of that. Under King Rehoboam in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, Israel was divided into two nations. There were ten tribes that were divided in the north, and then Judah represented two tribes that made up the south. Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom, and the Jews were the inhabitants of Judah, and the Israelites were the inhabitants of the northern kingdom. And so immediately after this division, Jeroboam, he changed the worship of the Israelites, and you can find that in 1 Kings chapter 12. And so the inhabitants of the north, they no longer traveled to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and worship. Instead, what they did was they set up idols. So they were worshiping false idols. As a result, the Israel, Israel then fell to the Assyrians. After that, they began to intermarry with the Assyrians. And so the Jews labeled the Samaritans as dogs and half-breeds. Okay? You can imagine if you were a Samaritan how you'd feel about being labeled that, right? Eventually the Samaritans, they, they evolved in their faith but only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the law of God called the Pentateuch. And so they ignored the books of prophecy and poetry. So what happened was these two groups that were, were originally divided, they burned with hatred for one another, even though at one time they were all together a part of the family of God. Are you seeing how they could now hate each other? And so now Jesus tells this story of a Samaritan from one kingdom doing something good for a Jew. 
that religious leader had to immediately hate it. And yet, that is who Jesus illustrated as a neighbor. It's not just the person next door, but it is, it is also the person in the neighboring kingdom. So the spectrum on who is your neighbor, it all of a sudden becomes much more broad. So I got a question, and I want you to just think about, who do you come in contact with? Who is it that you come in contact with? And all of a sudden, what that question does, it opens the door to your neighbor being someone that you might see regularly or someone that is just a passerby. It could be the person that is literally next door to your home. It could be someone at your work, family, friends, but it can also be the waiter or the waitress at the restaurant you might visit after church today. It could be someone pumping gas next to you at the gas station. Or it could be the person walking down the street. The principle Jesus is teaching here is how you act toward them better be in the same manner as how you treat yourself. Consider relationships, backgrounds, previous feuds in our life. That challenge is not easy. But Jesus is asking us to even love our enemies as ourselves. And so now we're challenged with this thought, how do I respond to my neighbor, even the ones I don't like? I'm going to tell you guys, natural responses, it comes easy. It comes easy. My relationship with my neighbors, if I was to think about every relationship I've had with every neighbor, has been interesting to say the least. I feel like many of those could have been a sitcom in and of itself, right? The greatest test I ever had with someone who lived next door to me happened in Waterloo. We'd been there about two to three months. Wendy and I, we go to this pastor's conference and it was just, it was just good to get away. And my mother-in-law, she comes to, to watch the kids as we go off to this conference and we gave her certain explicit instructions. You, you guys know what that was like when you grew up with kids and you handed them off to someone else. We had ex- these explicit instructions. And one of them was, we had this dog named Chloe. And we had two dogs. We had Chloe and we had Lucy. And, and Lucy was a beautiful golden retriever. Chloe was an English bulldog. And we said, now with Chloe, what you have to do is you have to make sure she's on a leash when she's outside because if she sees another dog, she's going to go nuts and she's going to take off after that dog. Well, let's say not every rule was followed, right? And so the kids are out jumping on the trampoline and they're hanging out with the dogs out in the backyard and they're having fun. And what happened was the neighbor let his dog out to go to the bathroom and as that dog goes outside into the backyard... Chloe sees her, locks on, and just starts running after her. Well, this neighbor decides, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to grab my gun sitting by the door. And now, next thing you know, he is shooting at my dog, and my kids are downrange from the dog. Wendy and I are in Branson, Missouri, and we get this call, and we're like, what do we do? Because that neighbor was not just my neighbor, it was the board member of my church. 
And I'm thinking, we have problems. We have big problems. And I'm just burning with anger and thinking what to do. Because here, here you have a guy that's not only shooting a gun toward my dog. My kids are downrange. He's 80, year old, 80 years old with Parkinson's. We've got some issues here. And I'm sitting there, and, and the situation resolved itself before I got home, and, and we, 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 we didn't talk to him at that point. And I'm just burning with anger and thinking, what am I going to say to this guy? And so I go into my office the next day, hadn't spoken to him, and he stops in. And he's angry. He's angry at me for my dog's behavior. And I'm sitting there, and I, I still haven't said anything and I'm like, God, give me peace right now. Give me peace. And God remind me in that moment, did I protect your children? Yes. Did I protect not just your dog, but his dog? Yes. And I just left it at, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. I have some problems with the situation too. But I'm just thankful that everyone's safe. And I left it at that. And as long as I knew this man named Danny, I still had to work daily at showing him respect. It was tough because I always thought about his careless behavior that day. And I always had to separate it from that to he's a child of God and God took care of me. There are our natural responses. And many of those natural responses are contrary to how God asks us how to live. And so I know that some of you, you hear that story especially, and you might, you might come to me afterwards and say, Pastor, you had every right to call the police there. Or remove him as a board member, because clearly he is not fit to lead with compassion. But deep down, I know that I wrestle with showing the same compassion Jesus showed as he died for the very people who were beating him and hanging him on a cross. I wrestle with that. And I know that comparing the two, these two things, they are very different, but yet they have similarities because the, the soldiers that, that beat him and killed him, they also believed what they were doing right and, and that was noble because he was a radical. There have been times that, that require I display love and there's times where I was the one who needed that love reciprocated because of my own actions. And so very quickly, I want to go over. There are four godly responses we need to have to our neighbor. It's contained in this passage in, uh, in Luke chapter 10. Jesus gives us four laws to live by. The first one is uh, love God. 1 John 4.19 says we love God because he loved us first. And there are many of you who even sitting here don't know how to love God because of your misconceptions and how to approach God. To love God, you need to discover who he is and what he has done for you. It requires your pursuit of seeking him. He has already been pursuing you. Just open the door to him and let him in. That might require, you might see people coming down here to the altar. 
And you're like, you know, I I just don't know what's going on there. I don't understand it. But I guarantee if there's challenges in your life, if you open the door to coming down, and I'm telling you, you might think I'm crazy. I sense the Spirit of God differently when I'm sitting in the back versus when I'm sitting in the front. I do. And so I challenge you, if you feel disconnected from all that, try sitting down front next Sunday. Second, second, love yourself. Might sound odd hearing that, but I want you to think about this because some people resent their own existence because they haven't accepted the great work that brought them into existence. Psalm 139.14, the psalmist says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. No matter the circumstances, church, that brought you into this world, no matter what you have done or the mistakes you have made, God made no mistakes in creating you. Embrace that God has a purpose for your life. Number three, love your neighbor. The same care that you you give for your own well-being, Jesus is asking us to give to those who are our neighbors, and sometimes people expect love from someone they might not receive it from. Think about it. It should have been the priest that responded immediately when he saw the guy that had been attacked, but he didn't. It should have been the temple assistant in our story, but they didn't show compassion. Likewise, you should consider expressing love to those who may not expect it from you. Lastly, show mercy. Show mercy. I want you to listen to this definition of mercy. I think it's important to hear. It's defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within One's power to punish or harm. An enemy to the Samaritan, it could have felt better. I'm just going to leave him for dead. But he was compelled with compassion. Church, that is being a good neighbor, amen? That is being a good neighbor. Being able to open your eyes and be compelled with compassion and have the same heart for them that that God has for us. We know that God has that for them too, but sometimes it takes us moving to understand that. And church, I am telling you, there is a benefit in your lives to being a good neighbor because it all hinges on the very first verse we read. The greatest benefit that you have to being a good neighbor is being in eternity. Listen and think about this. Because you might say, I don't think I qualify. Or I can't be a good neighbor to that person. But the reality is, your eternal destination might hinge on you loving your neighbor. Think about it this way. Let's go back to the very first verse, verse 25, Luke 10, 25. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
What should I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Therein lies the answer to eternal life. It's not that we need to keep this list of rules and perfectly follow them and and all of a sudden, next thing you know, the stars start lining up in our lives perfectly and then, boom, you make it to heaven the last day. That's not what I'm asking of you. But the question is, are you genuinely trying to be like Jesus? That's the question at the heart of all of this. Are you genuinely trying? We can't be perfect like Jesus is perfect. But he must be our aim, church. He has to be our aim. But in serving him, what, what, what it becomes, that means that our desires, our past, it should change and become about him and his mission. There needs to be a marked change in your life when you decide to follow him. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I challenge you, no matter who your neighbor is, live in a manner that you are trusting his principles and you are continually leading others, yourself, on the right course by your actions. Because if you do, what happens is your life, by the way you act and the things you do, it shows people God. Think about this. You are the key to people that you come in contact with seeing God. They're going to see God through you. Listen, we're we're almost done here. Colossians 1.27 says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. Then we know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 and 19 go into all the world and preach the gospel, I am telling you, preaching church is only going to get you so far. Your actions need to line up with the words that you speak. You do God no service if you confess Him, but your life doesn't line up with who He is and what His Word says. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. He's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I'm going to finish with a parable. Jesus is talking about this wedding feast and all the invitees decided they had better things to do than come to the wedding. And so Jesus looks at all his servants and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the highways and the hedges. I want you to go everywhere in the streets 
And I want you to compel them to come. Compel them to come. You are going to do that. You are his servants in this parable. And you are going to go out and you're going to be in contact with your neighbors. And is the life you are leading, is your servanthood in Jesus Christ lining up with being compelling to come? So what I want us to do is I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us open to the Holy Spirit right now to ask ourselves, Lord, am I following out after how you are telling me to be? Am I saying the right things and actually doing the right things? Am I seeking you? Am I pursuing you the way I need to? See, because I believe that if you just focus on Jesus, you'll be compelling. He's going to change you. So don't seek to be compelling for compelling's sake. Seek Christ. Seek Christ. And so what it comes down to right now is us open to self-examination. Am I living out a perfect example to my neighbors because of my relationship with Jesus? Or do I need a heart change? Do I need more of Him? If you would say today, Pastor, I got to open up my heart to have the same compassion that Christ had for His enemies. It's not lining up. And I need that heart. If you say, church, I need that heart today, I invite you to stand along with me. I'm already standing to this response. Praise you, God. And what I invite you to do is I invite you to just raise your hands to God right now. I invite you to make confession unto Him right now. Confess your faults. It it teaches us in James chapter 5 to confess our faults to one another. And we know that when we do, when we bring about this confession, what begins to happen is that we release. it, It no longer has dominion or power over us. And next thing you know, we have this openness to the Holy Spirit moving and working inside of us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find someone next to you, and I want you to grab their hand. I want you to grab their hand right now. And I want you, if you are brave enough and the Holy Spirit is leading you, I want you to confess a fault. And by doing that, what you are doing, you are opening the door to the Holy Spirit to work. And these strongholds, they are being torn down in the name of Jesus Christ, amen? They're being torn down. And the Holy Spirit is releasing His power on you. I need that, church. We need that in order to be good neighbors to those who are around us. 
and God is working on hearts and minds and I'm so thankful that I can come to this house and I can be challenged in my faith to know that God can move here, amen? God is moving in us this morning. So be open, open up your heart to what he can do and let's cry out to him right now. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your work. I thank you for how your spirit pours out when we worship. And so God, right now, we open the door to your Holy Spirit that by our confession, God, you are tearing down these strongholds, Father. Lord, you are opening the door that we may become more like your son. And we thank you, God, because of your compassion. He came down to this earth to live and die for us that he might one day rise again. And God, we stand here as righteous because of what your son accomplished, because of his blood that was shed, because of the life that he has lived. And God, we praise you for that perfect example in Jesus' name. Lord, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to be a good neighbor. It's not always easy to be that upright person that you've called us to be. But God, I pray that as Lord, we have confessed today that God, your son has become our aim and we can become more and more like him in Jesus' name.